you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to um, begin in verse 35 and go through the end of the chapter, looking at faith in the storm. Our small group, uh, once a month on Mondays, we have this event called Manly Monday. Manly Monday is what we call it. We meet every, you know, once a month on Mondays, as you can guess. And what we do is we get together, just the men, eat some good food, and we're talking about biblical manhood is what we're talking about. And a couple months ago, I thought it'd be really manly to, to have the discussion around a bonfire. And so I had this huge pile of brush at my house, and so I had it all ready. You know, it was a pretty dry day, and so lit that thing up, and that flame ended up being higher than my house okay like it got way out of control I'm getting texts from Chelsea like do you have this thing under control and I was like yeah of course I do but so I was out there with Aubrey and Aubrey was like what are we going to do if this thing spreads and so I got my water hose you know this rage and fire I don't even have a good um you know what's the word I have in my notes here nozzle. I don't even have a good nozzle on it. I just have this water hose and I'm thinking I'm completely at the mercy of this fire. If it decides to spread, I mean, I'm not stopping it with this water hose. And it was kind of a wake-up call in a sense to me about nature. You know, we kind of have a pretty tame view of nature this day because we have shelter and air conditioner and all this stuff. I just think about nature as, is it hot outside or cold outside? Is it rainy? Is it not rainy? But, you know, you watch something like Survivor and you see what nature could do. Or, you, or in 2004, there was a tsunami in the Indian Ocean killing 228,000 people. A tsunami. And you see, like, okay, nature is beyond our control. Nature's powerful. It's scary when you're facing it. You know, I think about just last night at, at Green Acres. I mean, a fire just ravaged a place just like that. And many times, without knowing it, we're completely at nature's mercy. But today we're looking at a story, Jesus versus nature. And it goes a little differently. How, you know, I'm standing by, at a fire, I don't have much control, but Jesus, we'll see who's going to win in this face-off. I'm, I, if you've been here in this series in Mark at all, or probably, you probably know who's going to win. This, this battle, Jesus versus nature. But what we're going to see is that knowing the answer to that question, who, who wins that battle, can change our lives as well. We're, we're going to see it in the text. So I have three points this morning. A great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. Let's read the whole thing, 35 through 41. This is God's word for us this morning. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, peace. Be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's God's word for us. Let's go to God and ask for him to bless it. Father, thank you for your word. 
thank you for the story of Jesus that we so desperately need. Holy Spirit, I pray that you can use this story of the Son of God and instill faith, fearlessness, boldness, courage in your people. God, will you use this story to shape our hearts this morning? God, will you help us understand it? Will you help us apply it? Will you help us pay attention and hear your word? God, we want it to fall on good soil this morning and produce fruit. Fruit of faith and fruit of boldness and fruit of courage and fruit of peace. That's what we need, Lord, and only you can give that. We're just going to focus on the objective truth of your word, depending upon the Spirit to produce fruit in your people. So God, I pray you're glorified. Jesus, I pray you're exalted. I pray that these people are impressed with you this morning. That you can get the glory in this, in this room today as we study and examine your word. I pray that you speak to us through it. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Number one, great storm. First, we see a boat ride. Uh, if you remember in, in context, the past couple weeks, Jesus has been on a boat teaching on the sea to the people on the shore. And so evening has come. He's, he's done, and he says, let us go across to the other side. The, the big thing I want to point out here is that I want you just to realize as we, as we look into this story, whose idea was it to go across to the other side? It was Jesus' idea. Do you see that? He, he's the one who said, let's go. So in verse 36, they do. Um, they take him. They, they put him in their boat. They go. Um, this, this phrase right here in verse 36, and other boats were with him. This is not in the other gospels account of this story, which um, seems like it reflects an eyewitness story. There's, there's not too much reason for that to be in there. It doesn't really help with the narrative, but it seems as if, you know, if Peter was telling the story to Mark, which that's what we believe happened, he's like, and other boats were there too. Does that make sense? There's, there's, there's no theological point there, I don't believe. It's just... Historical reporting, other boats were there. Okay, so remember though, whose idea was it to go to the other side of the sea? Jesus. Then what happens in verse 37? A great storm. Great windstorm arose. Waves were breaking to the boat, so the boat was already filling. So they're traveling across the sea in the evening, trying to get to the other side by the time night hits, I suppose. Great storm comes. Sudden storms are typical out on this sea. But this one seems especially extreme out of nowhere. It's a great storm. Raining cats and dogs. Um, it reminds me of some storms I've driven through, which I always, um, always seem like when I'm driving through a great storm, I'm always in a church bus. Something about the church bus just seems to trigger great storms in my... In my so I'm, you know, I'm coming back from Panama City on a youth camp, and it just starts... I'm imagining something like this, a great storm. You know, it's raining cats and dogs you can't see. And so not only am I driving in the storm, not only am I driving a big bus, which isn't always easy to drive, in traffic, you know, it's Atlanta traffic or something. Not only all those things, but I've got teenagers in the back. 14 teenagers who won't shut up, okay? That's, that's what, and so you're just trying, you're, I'm trying to manage here, and I'm trying to manage here. It's a great storm. Okay, so I'm getting panicked, I'm getting stressed. Thankfully, I had a 100% success rate of getting home. But anyway, so far, yeah. The disciples are going through something worse. I mean, the waves, as we see in verse 37, are breaking into the boat. The boat is filling up. So they're sitting in this boat, and it's, it's taking on water. They're, they're filling it up. So imagine the panic and the stress. I mean, this is probably worse than me at that bonfire, right? I mean, out of control, or me driving that bus. N nowhere compared to my boats filling up in the middle of this crazy storm. And remember, as I said, this was because of, due to, Jesus' plan, was it not? 
It was Jesus' idea to go across, and the storm still came. The reason why I want to point that out is sometimes we can have bad theology where we think that if we do what Jesus wants, we'll never encounter any difficulty or any negative thing. But here we see they did exactly what Jesus said to do, and it still led to hardship. Okay, so get it out of your mind that if you live a good life, things will always go well for you. That's not what we see here. They listened to Jesus and something bad happened. But the one thing we've learned so far in Mark is that if there's a problem, Jesus can solve it. Right? He is the, he's the all-sufficient, perfect problem solver. So they're in, the, they're in the right place. They're with Jesus. Right? He's going to take care of this storm. So if you're the disciples, you're seeing the water filling up. You're seeing the storm. Panic's setting in. You're thinking, okay, where's Jesus? And where's Jesus in this story? Verse 38, you won't believe it. You wouldn't believe it if you didn't know this story already. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Jesus is taking a nap. He's got a cushion. He's relaxed in the storm. The disciples are quick to wake him up. And they wake him up with a question. Do you see the question? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And what we'll see in verse 40 is that they're rebuked for this question. And this seems a little strange to us, does it not? It should seem strange to you, if you think about it, because we, we, we know that Jesus is the all-sufficient, perfect problem solver. We know that we're supposed to bring our problems to Jesus, to cast our cares upon Jesus. So didn't the disciples make the correct decision running to Jesus in this situation? Isn't that the right thing to do? But the disciples run to Jesus and they get rebuked. So we have to ask the question, when is it wrong to run to Jesus? When is it wrong to run to Jesus? In verse 40, if you look at verse 40, jump ahead a a bit. Mine's on the other page. Um, He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still, still no faith? Disciples are rebuked for two things here. Being fearful and being faithless. And these two things are connected. They didn't have faith in Jesus, so they were fearful in the storm. So the disciples running to Jesus in this story was not because of their faith in Jesus. Do you see that? It was because of their doubt of Jesus. They didn't think Jesus was in control. As we see in the question here, they didn't think that Jesus cared. They said, do you not care that we're dying? You see that? They didn't have faith, so they were fearful. They thought this random, quote-unquote, random storm was going to destroy them and destroy God's plan. Therefore, we see this question is an accusation of Jesus. The disciples in the storm have quickly made a judgment of Jesus. Sure, he will heal the paralyzed people. Sure, he'll cast out demons for people. But now that we're in trouble, you don't care that we're going to die. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you see the accusation in that question? In contrast, think about this, if they had faith in Jesus' control and care, if they saw the storm coming, the waves filling up, and they thought to themselves, you know what, Jesus is in complete control of the situation and he completely cares about me. Think about how differently they would have responded. 
They would have been fearless in the storm, but they didn't have the faith, so they were filled with fear. So they run to Jesus, not out of faith, but out of panic, out of fear, out of, you, you're not doing anything, you're, you don't care about us. Okay, so we know what fear in the storm looks like, looks like the disciples, but what do you really think faith in the storm would look like? What would it look like to be filled with faith in this moment? I want to suggest that our example of faith in this story is Jesus himself. Consider Jesus sleeping. Even in the midst of this great windstorm, Jesus is so full of faith and confidence and peace. He is so trusting in the sovereignty of God that he can take a nap. I mean, don't, wouldn't you like that kind of peace in your life? Wouldn't you like that kind of faith in your life? That no matter what the circumstances are, you're so trusting, you can sleep on the cushion in the middle of the storm on a boat that's taking on water. This peace, I want to suggest, comes from a radical trust in the fact that God is in complete control of your life. The disciples are in panic, but Jesus isn't in panic at this storm. He is at peace. He's sleeping. He's taking a nap. He's at rest. This is the kind of faith that believes in the Bible. And I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask myself this morning, do you believe in the Bible? A couple weeks ago, when I was preaching on um, all the seed parables, somebody came up to me and they said, you know, that, that probably is so encouraging to you as a preacher, to know, like, you just had to sow the seed and, and the fruit comes. That, that's got to be so encouraging. And I said, it really would be if I always believed it. But, same thing here. Do, do, you, do you believe in passages like Matthew 10, 29, 31 that says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Do you believe that? Could you imagine what your, your life in the storm would look like if you believed that? What about Ephesians 1.11, which is according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. All things work out according to God's will. If you believe that, Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8.37-39, he read this this week. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe the Bible? Because if you, if you have faith in the Scriptures, if you have faith in God like Jesus has, your life would be so much more at peace. So I want to ask, are you living a life of faith or are you living a life of fear? I want you to look at your life. I'm looking at my life right now to say, am I looking more like the disciples? Soon as something bad happens, I make accusations towards God. He doesn't care about me. We're going to die because he's asleep. Or do we look like Jesus completely at rest in the sovereignty of God knowing that, that the scriptures are true and that his promise is true and it's going to come true? Faith is to fear like light is to darkness. The presence of one dispels the other. And listen, I have no idea what kind of storm you're going through. I don't want to speak lightly like it's just an easy thing 
to have faith when your storm could be so much worse than mine. But it's not really my wisdom we're leaning on. I'm praying no matter what you're going through, through this story that Philippians 4-7 will happen to you. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what I want. See, that surpasses all understanding. So it might not make sense for you to have peace in your storm. It might be illogical for you to feel like Jesus in whatever you're going through. But the scriptures say a peace that surpasses all understanding can guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's who we're looking for, for this peace. Christ Jesus. And in this narrative, in this story, Jesus shows us why we should have such faith in him. Why we can have the peace that surpasses all understanding, even in the worst storm. We see it in our second point. A great calm. Verses 39 through 40. And he awoke, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So Jesus wakes up from his nap, gets up, and screams at the storm. That's what happens. And the storm responds in immediate obedience. So what we see here is we see a great storm, Jesus, and then what happens? A great calm. You see that in the text, verse 39, the last two words, great calm. Great storm, Jesus, great calm. That's what happens here. I know you've heard this story. I know it's familiar. But try your best to feel the wonder of this story. No matter if you've been in church all your life for 80 years or this is your first time here, I don't know. Try to feel the wonder of this story. Put yourselves in the shoes of these grown men who are professional fishermen, who are absolutely terrified by this storm to see a man wake up from a nap and stop a storm by yelling at it. The question I want to ask is when did Jesus become in control of this situation? I want to say that Jesus was in control of this situation the entire time. As the sovereign Lord of the universe. He was worthy to be trusted the entire time. Even when he was napping. He was worthy to be trusted even before he stopped the storm. He's the same God with the same power. I want to suggest to you the same thing in your situation, in your storm. Things are bad right now. If you're suffering, if you're going through a dark time, I don't know what it is. If it feels like Jesus is taking a nap and doesn't care. If it it seems like he's absent. If it seems like he's not listening. This story shows us that Jesus doesn't have to stop the storm to be worthy of your trust. And today's message is not, have faith in Jesus and he'll stop your storm. Okay, please hear me say that's not the message today. We don't have a promise in Scripture that says He'll always remove suffering from your life. So this message is not, you know, you have a storm, go to Jesus, He'll stop it immediately. That's not what I want to suggest. He, he can stop it. He will stop it. Right? He can and He will. We don't know His will in all these areas. We do have a promise that He will eventually stop all suffering in the new heavens and new earth. That's the hope, that, that's the promise we have. The, the storms will forever cease in eternity. Okay, what's today's message then? Today's message is Jesus is worthy of your trust, 
even in the midst of your storm. So even if things are bad, even if it feels like your boat is taking on water, even if things are out of control, even if all the evidence right in front of your face seems to indicate that Jesus doesn't care about you, trust in Jesus Christ. He's worthy of your faith. Consider all of the ways that He's proven Himself faithful to you. Consider your salvation. Consider your answered prayers that you've experienced. Consider um, how He's comforted you in past suffering. Consider the, the truthfulness of the Word of God. He's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in the future. Just because He hasn't stopped the storm yet doesn't mean He's not in control of the storm. And that's a bit of the point that Jesus has in verse 40. If you see this question, have you, here's the word I want to emphasize, still no faith? Do you still not have faith? Do you still not understand? Think about what the disciples have already seen just in these first four chapters of Mark as we close chapter 4 today. Think about all the miracles, all the power, all the authority, all the teaching. And Jesus is asking, after all that, after all you've seen, do you still not know what I can do? Do you still not believe in my control and care? You've seen my authority. You've seen my power. You've seen my love and compassion. How could you accuse me in this moment? Do you not care that we are perishing? Have you still no faith? And I'm sure in the midst of our storms, when we are faithless and fearful, Jesus could probably ask a similar thing of us, right? Have you still no faith? Do you still not believe the Bible? you still not believe the promises? Here's some encouragement in this narrative. Pretty clear that the disciples failed the test of this storm. They did not respond in faith. They did not respond in trust in Christ. They failed. The storm came, test from God, and they said, God doesn't care about us. They responded in faithlessness and fear Accused Jesus of not caring about them. But nevertheless, do you see the mercy of Jesus Christ in this story? Do you see the mercy and grace of Jesus that even though the disciples did not deserve for the storm to be stopped, Jesus still stopped it. Jesus' care for the disciples did not depend on how much they deserved it in the moment. No, they deserved to die in that storm. Okay, you think I don't care about you? Watch this. That's what should have happened. Jesus should have just let that storm go. Let them be destroyed in their sin and their unbelief. But that's not what happened. Jesus had mercy on his disciples. And thank God that Jesus' love for us in this moment does not depend upon our current performance. It doesn't depend on how well you did this week. It doesn't matter how faithful you are in checking off spiritual boxes. You don't have to pass or fail a test. But it depends on Jesus' mercy towards you. His grace, His compassion. I think about what we heard last week, the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus Christ. That's what we see in this story. Jesus sees these broken sinners, fearful and faithless, and He doesn't respond and let that storm kill them. No, He responds in a gentle and lowly way and stops the storm. So what we see in this story is the grace and mercy of God found in Jesus Christ put on display where faithless sinners are rewarded when they don't deserve it. So how will they respond to this grace and mercy? Let's look at verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. Notice that? Filled with 
great fear. So we've gone from a great storm to great calm to great fear. That's ironic, isn't it? The storm stopped, but their fear increased. The cause of their fear was the storm, but now something scarier has happened. A man has screamed at a storm and it stopped. In verse 36, the disciples take Jesus on their boat and it says, just as he was. This is an interesting phrase, right? They took him with them, the, them in the boat just as he was. But what did they think Jesus was when they took him on that boat? Yeah, they've seen him do some great things. They've seen him care about people. They've seen his wisdom and authority and teaching. They've, they've, they've seen him do all these miracles. But when they became fearful of the storm, what did they call him? Verse 38. Teacher. Notice that? Then, after Jesus calms the storm with his very word, the disciples are filled with great fear. I'm not sure this is just a teacher. Something else is going on here. That's why they say, last verse, here's the question, verse 41. Who then is this? So we've gone from a great storm to a great calm, and now we're going in this story from a wrong view of Jesus to a getting to a correct one. They're, they're at least on the journey of, of really questioning the identity. We know because in Mark, he, he spells it out clearly at the beginning in Mark chapter 1. But the disciples, they're saying, wait a second. Who is this in the boat with us? They're terrified. There's a great fear. So look at that question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I love this story so much, and I love it even more that it ends with this question. Notice, look at, look at the next verse. They, the story's over in, in March 5-1. So it just ends with this question. It's, it's almost like Mark is reporting the facts of what happened, but then in, in the way he wrote this story, turns it to the reader, turns it to us. To say, who is this? Who do you say that this man is? Another way to ask the question, who, who can control the wind and the sea? Who does nature obey? Psalm 107, 28 through 29. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. That's in the Psalms. What does that sound like to you? Isn't the Bible amazing? The psalmist makes the point that only the Lord could make the storm be still. Only the Lord could make the waves of the sea be hushed. Only the Lord can change the course of nature with three words. Only the Lord can make nature obey. And so the only answer to the question of who then is this is that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the omnipotent creator God in the flesh. So I invite you to to feel the majestic wonder of who Jesus Christ is, that there truly is no one like Him. I want to read Colossians chapter 1 
as we think about the God who can calm the wind and the waves. Psalm 115, I mean, Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, in everything, He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's why He could say, peace, be still, and the wind stops. The storm stops. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's why He could forgive sins. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's why he's sovereign over the universe and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Hebrews 1.3 He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the word of Christ. He upholds the universe. Currently, right now, you exist because of the word of Christ sustaining you. Currently, right now, this universe exists because the Word of Christ is sustaining it. And the Word of Christ can look at a storm and say, Peace, be still, and it stops. So this story should give us faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? I hope this story builds up faith in you to see that this Jesus is the same Jesus He is right now. And even when our circumstances suggest that He doesn't care about us, even when it seems like He's asleep, even when it seems like things are out of control, Jesus Christ is sovereign over the storms. His Word commands the waves. He cares about His children. So I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus. To have faith in Him in the storm. So that you can be fearless in the storm with a peace that surpasses all understanding. Okay, in conclusion, you know what's amazing about Jesus Christ? Besides the past 30 minutes that we've talked about. You know, okay, so think about the, the power, the authority he displays in this story. Where the wind and the waves obey him. Think about the verses we read that the universe exists for Jesus. The universe was created by Jesus. The universe is currently sustained by Jesus. Think about that. And this same omnipotent Jesus willingly went to the storm of Golgotha. He went to the cross to bear the wrath of God in the place of sinners. The same Jesus in this story dying on the cross. Humiliated in pain and agony. Bearing the wrath of God. John 10, 18, no one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. No one took Jesus' life. You read this story about him calming, having sovereignty over a storm, you know nobody can take that man's life. No, no one took it. He laid it down. He could have stopped the entire thing just like the storm with three words. Peace, be still, the whole thing's done. But instead, he laid his life down. He willingly gave himself for sinners, dying on the cross, bearing the punishment for sin. But he laid it down, as we see in John 10, 18, so that he could take it up again. 
Do you see the omnipotent power? Who lays down their life and death and then takes it back up again? Only Jesus Christ. Three days later, he was raised back to life. Therefore, what we see in the gospel is that Jesus doesn't just have authority over nature, even though that's amazing. Hallelujah, he has authority over nature and the world and creation and the universe. But he also has authority. He's sovereign over death itself. He died and lived again. The chains of death couldn't hold him and he lives forevermore. So this story as we zoom out is a great picture of the gospel. I hope it's encouraging to you in whatever suffering you're going through. But if you are apart from Christ this morning, if you don't know Jesus, this this story can be your story where you are in trouble. You are in the storm of your sins. And you don't deserve salvation. You don't deserve the storm to be stopped. You deserve to die in the storm of your sins. But Jesus, in his mercy, can stop the storm in a single moment with a single word. So I invite you this morning to come to Christ. Put your faith in Jesus, and there can be a great calm in your soul in this life and for eternity. That's the promise of the gospel. A great calm in your soul. A great calm and a peaceful rest in the new heavens and new earth forever. You don't earn it. You, don't, you can't stop the storm yourself. You can only go to Christ and say, save me, Jesus. That's what it requires. To turn from your sin and, and fall upon Christ. He can save you. He can stop the storm and provide a great calm. If you're a believer in this room, Hold on to Jesus in your storm, in your suffering, knowing that God's sovereign over it. He cares about you. And circumstances might seem something else, but hold on to the promises of God found in Jesus Christ. He can sustain you in the storm. He'll give you faith in the storm to continue on and be fearless. As, as we close, as we're going to respond, I want to invite you if, you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Him, Pastor Chad's right here in the back. Slip out, talk to Him. He'd love to have a conversation. If you have any questions whatsoever, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come for you thanking you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for His power, His authority. God, thank you for this story that shows us that we can trust in Him. Jesus, I want to pray that you can be ever-present in people's lives. Um, I know in this room there's a lot of brokenness, a lot of suffering, a lot of struggling. It feels like a storm for a lot of people. And I know, God, that some of them may feel like you are distant. God, I pray that through this story that you can instill faith in them. God, I pray they can hold on to the promises of the Bible. God, I pray that you can give them faith and trust, and peace in the storm. God, I pray that you do stop storms. God, there's, there's so many bits of suffering in this church, I wish you would stop right now. God, we ask for you to do that. We do. But alongside of that, God, I pray that you can give us faith. Give us peace in the storm. God, help us look to Jesus as our Savior, but also look to Him as our example. Give us faith, Lord. We need it. We want to depend upon you. God, I do pray for anybody in here who doesn't know you. God, and they, they feel like they don't, they don't realize the storm they're in. They don't. God, I, Holy Spirit, I pray right now you can impress upon them the seriousness of their sin. That you can lead them to conviction. A real conviction that, that leads to repentance. Faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray you give new life in this room. 
I can't bestow it. I can't impart it. I can't make it happen. Holy trusting in your word and the spirit to do that. God, we thank you for your word. God, build us up in faith. Make us be a people who produce fruit and are fearless in the storm. In your name, Jesus. Amen.